Welcome to Thinking Like a Lawyer, with your hosts, Ellie Mistal and Joe Patrice, talking about legal news and pop culture, all while thinking like a lawyer, here on Legal Talk Network. Hello and welcome to another episode of Thinking Like a Lawyer. I'm Joe Patrice from Above the Law, and with me, as always, is Ellie Mistal. I'm Ellie Mistal, and I just got a new roof on my house, so thanks, Legal Talk Network. (laughs) So you didn't have a roof before? I got got a better roof on my house. Okay, like the one that actually keeps out rain and stuff. That turns out to be critical. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're here, and we're going to have a fun conversation a little bit later because we're rec- as we're recording this, Avengers is about to come out, so that's going to be the talk of the next week. So we thought we'd bring on some folks who know a little bit about comic books and the law, so we're going to have that conversation. But first, we're going to begin, as we usually do, by discussing what's really grinding Ellie's gears. What, what are you upset about this week? Yeah, so while lawyers this week might be uh, anticipating the the release of the Avengers, what most lawyers are doing is also anticipating oral arguments in the gay marriage case. Um, As we're recording, oral arguments are ongoing. And so we were reading the the kind of early uh, takeaways from the justices' questions about the gay marriage issue. And uh, Justice Alito reportedly asked if the court should authorize gay marriage, what's to stop us, uh, stop them from having to authorize marriages of three or four people, polygamy, and that sort of thing. And I just want to ask, why is it that whenever we have an opponent to gay marriage, it always devolves into polygamy or bestiality? Are they projecting? Like, how do we always end up there? Look, if you want to have a harem, that's a social precept. But if you want to be able to pass on your wealth to your partner after your death, that's a legal precept. I don't see any connection at all all between one man loving another man and one man loving a dog. They're different things. Yeah, I mean, while I would say I I think there are probably multi-spouse families who have an interest in figuring out how to divvy up the estate. So I think there might be some legal interest there. But but no, you're absolutely right. And and this kind of a connection is not new. Uh, I was looking back in anticipation of these arguments. I was looking back at some of the some of the rhetoric that surrounded miscegenation statutes back in the day. And in the entire discussion of keeping the races separate, there was always, well, not always, but there were constant references in the legislative history of that to, this is just like polygamy. This would, this would lead us down that road. Uh, the idea that there's something illicit about whatever the marriage they don't want of the day is, and connecting it to polygamy and bestiality goes back, sadly, hundreds of years. Yeah, I think what's sad is that there are apparently a lot of people out there who really fantasize about having sex with sheep or having six or eight wives as if they could handle that really. I mean, you don't think, I don't know, sheeps don't seem that difficult to handle. (laughs) Well, you know, that's completely incorrect. That is a first world um, centric way of thinking about it. <laughs> Shepherding is hard, yo. Ask Moses. I mean, I guess. I don't know. I mean, I guess it, it is difficult if the if Wiley Coyote's out for you, but I don't know. <laughs> Actually, no, that wasn't difficult, right? That was the whole point of that cartoon was that he kept screwing up and the dog kept defeating him. Exactly. Wiley Coyote was, yeah. in fairness, the worst coyote in the history of the world. It's possible, you know, and he was a genius. It's possible that 
he's the worst genius of all time. Or, you know, he had bad corporate support. I mean, what, what did Brown ever do for Wally Coyote is really probably the question we should be asking. That was a UPS and Acme joke. Did we, is that completely dated? <laughs> How old am I? Oh, my God. Let's move on before I need to have tapioca pudding and a nap at Denny's. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. So why don't we, because I don't want to have to go fish you out of a Denny's like most days. So let's go ahead and bring in our guests. I have Josh Gilliland and Jessica Medersen from The Legal Geeks. Hey, guys, how are you? Hi there. Great. Outstanding. It's great to be here for a crossover. Yes, definitely a crossover because for those who, who either don't know The Legal Geeks or only read the blog, they also have a podcast. So talking about a lot of the same issues that we do as far as applying the law to places that are a little a little uh, outside out where it usually goes. Yeah, a little out of this world. Um, <laughs> actually, why don't I, rather than talk for you, why don't I turn it over to you, Josh, to explain what it is The Legal Geeks do? Well, I normally prefer Jessica to go first. But that being stated, uh, we are two attorneys. I'm in San Jose. Jessica is in Madison, Wisconsin. And we have the blog, The Legal Geeks, where we talk about geek issues and the law because that's how we roll. Yeah. We do. And we've even expanded it beyond just hardcore geek. We kind of talk even pop culture stuff in general, just anything that strikes our fancy, you know, John Cusack movies in the 80s, other, you know, just random things, any awesome show that's on Netflix or some TV show, but we obviously do focus a lot on the very geeky stuff. So you guys I, span the gamut from geek to dork to nerd, right? <laughs> <laughs> we go full geek, thank you. For those you. who like to stay home, that's right. I'm like, if you like to watch TV, which I certainly do, and I think Josh does too, and read comic books and read some awesome books like by uh, the recently departed great Terry Pratchett, um, yeah, things you can do at home we like to do. <laughs> I spent most of my childhood in front of the TV set or reading comic books, and I've continued that practice into my 40s, so it, it's worked <laughs> well. Definitely. So now, what kind of lawyers are you, uh, actually? Good ones. Well, so, yes, no, oh, definitely. Oh, awesome I've, ones. Atticus Finch, are you familiar? You know, kind of that caliber. Hey, he lost. <laughs> That's what I always point out to people. Fudge. Like <laughs> he, he was morally right. He was morally Maybe right, but he lost. Yeah. No, I am, however, a litigator, although, you know, there aren't, I'm certainly not a trial lawyer like Atticus Finch, and there aren't many great trial lawyers left. Um, I do business litigation, which means I spend a lot of time doing things outside of the courtroom, including e-discovery issues or electronic discovery issues. And that's actually kind of how uh, Josh and I discovered each other. I was a big fan of a blog that he's been doing for a long time, as he is uh, one of our big e-discovery experts out there. Very kind. And, and it was that's that's a nice segue into, I think, your other blog. So there you go. It was <laughs> June 2012 when we first started communicating, and we launched in July of 2012. And it's been a wonderful adventure ever since, dissecting issues in comics, TV shows. Uh, I've done a Kesha song for giggles, you know, and it's <laughs> a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun analyzing legal issues, and it's a fascinating mental exercise. It's really great because the lawyers in our audience know the uh, e-discovery people are the, are the robots that are coming to take your jobs. So this is a pretty <laughs> that, that's absolutely not true unless you want to go <laughs> dig through a terabyte of data yourself. Have fun reading all the paper filling a football stadium. So yes, yes, that's, uh, it's we're helping you practice law better. 
So, but so I keep eating. I haven't yeah. met any opposing counsels that are fan yet. I keep hoping that you know some opposing counsel will take it easy on me because they're a big fan of the blog. And while I have met some lawyers who like the blog, none of them have ever been opposing counsel, unfortunately. You know, you did meet a fanboy during on-campus interviews, so you have that's true. A law student, yes, and that was very exciting. So, as speaking of the e-discovery AIs that are going to come take our jobs. So that's a good segue into Avengers Age Voltron comes out this week. So we thought we should have some sort of discussion about the legal shenanigans in the Marvel and greater comic book world. So that with that kind of segue, we want to talk a little bit about, I've been noticing that as these comic book movies become more and more, more and more popular and they, the, the whole ethos of the comic book superhero is that they kind of replace the police and government structures and operate outside of that. But that in recent years, more and more, they operate as, as kind of the worst manifestations of the, of the police state. Uh, Dark Knight was monitoring every, every cell phone in Gotham. Uh, S.H.I.E.L.D. did the same sort of thing. So I kind of wanted to talk about like what's up with the police state superhero. It is really weird and it might be an issue of lazy writing, uh, but when you think back to the first Avengers movie, when they're analyzing how do we find Loki and what's he up to, they have this quick passage of, yeah, we're monitoring every camera phone on Earth. <laughs> and it's a quick sentence, and no one like bats an eye over this. And it's like, wow, you just ran over the Fourth Amendment rights of every U.S. citizen and the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act just went into overdrive, and there's probably a good chance they didn't go to a secret court and get a search warrant for the entire planet. So, again, a little things that bother me. I think it's very believable. I think everybody would expect that Tony Stark, if he had the ability, would absolutely be looking at every naked picture in the world. Like, what's the <laughs> point of him being Tony Stark if he can't do that? Well, and I think really it also reflects that right now, and I think it's kind of an interesting debate that there's a little bit of an America in uh, the United States, and certainly, you know, it's a much bigger issue in Europe and other parts of the world. But this whole idea, for example, that Google, I mean, Google pretty much does know everything I do right now, you know, and they don't even need it. Or, you know, certain other companies online and GPSs and the cell phones and the privacy thing. I always wonder how lines like that or that total disregard for privacy goes over in Europe. I actually spoke to a great attorney from the UK who has explained to me that, you know, the Europeans have a much higher concern for privacy. I mean, they've actually put in laws even, you know, they have different definitions of what is personal information and what is discoverable in litigation. And in fact, you know, some countries like France and Germany specifically try to prevent the U.S. from getting that information for litigation because they feel we don't respect privacy. And he explained that, you know, in his perspective, a lot of it dates back to World War II and a lot of the totalitarian regimes that were very kind of focused on classifying people, you know, invading privacy and treating people differently because of it, obviously with some horrific results. And so, you know, there may be in a European audience for these sort of uh, superhero movies where they don't care about privacy. I wonder if there's at least a little bit higher concern than here in the U.S. where, where so far the attitude has kind of been like, eh, Google has it too, no big deal. Well, yeah, and that, there's something to be said for there been a huge shift in the way in which America thinks about this sort of stuff. The, going back to the, taking us out of Marvel for a second, to the DC world. Don't that cross Dark the Knight, streams. Yeah, no, but that, <laughs> that, that Dark Knight plot line ended with 
obviously what he was doing was wrong and needed to be destroyed, but he had to do it for the sake of safety. And then it went away. And the same yeah. screenwriters involved yeah. now make Person of Interest, which is about how that's the greatest thing ever. Well, I mean, I guess it's gotten a little further from that as the show's kind of developed. But that was the original plot of those first seasons of it. Well, yeah. it, but this goes to the entire superhero mythos, though, right? Like, you're, you're fundamentally talking about a world, you're, you're creating a fictionalized world where people are comfortable with certain individuals having immense power over, you know, over everybody else. And so the, the privacy, it's not surprising to me that if you're comfortable with Batman having the ability to kind of run through the streets and execute vigilante justice, then you're probably going to be pretty comfortable with him tracking your into- all of your movements on your cell phone. Well, and that kind of ties into X-Men where that is a one movie or the one kind of, I guess, um, you know, uh, plot or the ongoing idea of, you know, are regular humans comfortable with people who are superheroes, basically? And that is a threat. And you're right. In the rest of in the Batman movies or in the Avenger movies, everyone seems kind of cool with these heroes or Superman who will come in and save the day. And we're just going to trust them implicitly, which does seem dangerous. As we're seeing, you know, the trend in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., I think that's turning, and I think they're laying the groundwork for Captain America Civil War and showing the disconnect because you get folks like Jenna Simmons, who is absolutely not cool with Inhumans. Because when you think about anyone who's exposed to the Terrigen Mist, it's a eugenic WMD. And so right. it's either going to kill all of humanity if they go off in mass and leave only those with Inhuman DNA still alive. And in a horrifically, potentially uh, mutated sense of they might be a giant dog that can teleport or have snakes for hair or something kind of creepy. Uh, but that's the gift that they get from their DNA. And there's, there's this trend building in S.H.I.E.L.D. because of that. And I think they will continue that uh, in Age of Ultron, which we'll see Saturday or Thursday night for hardcore geek. And because, <laughs> I mean, I plan to go and... Because why not? And from there, uh, I'll springboard into Captain America Civil War in 2016. I put on my what would be evil for the new Registration Act because it's going to be different than the comic books uh, Registration Act. Because, yeah, well, it has to be because in. Because there's not hundreds of them. Yeah, well, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, they already had the index that was talked about in S.H.I.E.L.D., and by the end of Winter Soldier, all of S.H.I.E.L.D.'s secrets, including the index, were dumped online. So all of that became public information with everyone's secrets. Not that there still weren't people out there who were secret, but what would this new registration act look like? So you might have something, and again, putting on the scale of evil, of like what would be acceptable. So like this was... This was me thinking, lying awake at night, of like what would be legally horrific from history and that we could apply to Captain America Civil War. We get registered with the government, but the shield already had the index and it was released to the public. So we're we looking at something that might be a draft. Could yeah. they end up banning all human experimentation for creating superpowers? So like no more Hulks, no more Captain Americas. Ban the use of the Terrigen Mist. That would make sense because it is fatal to anyone without the in, uh, uh, inhuman DNA. Ratcheting up the evil level, you could have the internment of anyone with inhuman DNA. You can right. have in, imprisonment of anyone who's been exposed to the Terrigen Mist. You could get super evil and ban those with inhuman DNA from having children. And going full police state, you could sterilize anyone with inhuman DNA to 
eliminate that race from being a threat in the future. So those are that's my sliding scale of evil, horrific uh, <laughs> potential laws that that you could see in civil war. And I don't know where they'll go, but that's that's me being an attorney lying awake, pontificating of what would be truly horrible. I think we just have to be concerned with with the uh, with the rights of the small town pizza shop to not be able to not have to serve Captain America pizza. I think as long as that plot point is fully fleshed out, I'll be happy. Yeah, I don't know if they'll go there. Um, it's, they might. Who knows? I, I I have no no knowledge of what they're writing, but that would be uh, again my sliding scale of evil. So. All right, well, let's take a break right now. We'll come back in a minute and talk more with our guests about all things comic book and law. Sponsors, this is normally the time in our show where we have sponsors, and potentially that means that you can be a sponsor. Think Like a Lawyer is seeking sponsorships. So if you're interested in participating in our programming or would like more information about rates, please contact the team at Legal Talk Network at info at legaltalknetwork.com or go to their website at www.legaltalknetwork.com and click on Advertise. And we're back with Josh and Jessica from The Legal Geeks. You know, one thing that... uh, wasn't really what I intended to uh, to take this to, but with one thing that we talked about a little bit, you know, offline earlier was the the kind of militarization of police forces in the in the country, and just mm-hmm. how some of the what we were just talking about about the violations of rights and the idea that I mean, when you think of militarization of police forces, Iron Man would seem to be the like the ultimate end of that. Uh, you have basically a military weapon rolling around the streets, fixing everything. So to what extent do, are these movies kind of uh, the happy side of militarization of police is what I was wondering about. They are the good, supposed to be the good guys, but I, I did an infographic and I'll, I'll send it to you for a presentation I did at a comic convention last week on S.H.I.E.L.D. And S.H.I.E.L.D. would be legally terrifying. It legally, <laughs> legally terrifying because people are going to start sounding like Paul Wellstone and Rand Paul when they talk about it and because it is a horrifying idea because you have an organization that answers to both the president, then down to the Department of Defense, sidelined to the Department of Justice because it's doing law enforcement, and also you have a world council that can authorize the use of a nuclear weapon on a U.S. city without the president's approval, which goes against the way we use nuclear weapons because I remember Barry Goldwater specifically losing the 1964 presidential election when he said local commanders should have discretionary use of nuclear weapons. We get the Daisy ad. We then have S.H.I.E.L.D. mimicking the operations of the FBI, the Central Intelligence Agency, the NSA, and the Navy. Okay. The, this is not a Reese's peanut butter cup. These things were not meant to go together. And when you have law enforcement doing espionage and military action simultaneously, they forget they're doing law enforcement. And that, that's one of my big criticisms about the show Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is they subvert the Constitution literally in every episode. 
compared to but agents. Josh, and you have been very vocal about that. But mm-hmm. I would say the problem with Agents of Shield, and I think it's something we see also with the police, is that the message, the underlying message of Agent of Shield, Agents of Shield, is that well, you really don't need to worry about any of these things. Points that you've brought up several times on the blog, because you know Agent Coulson's a good guy, and he's really doing this for you know an ultimate good. So it's okay if he cuts his corner and cuts his corner. And I think you see some of those same arguments applied you know, with the police and the militarization of the police and some of the other issues that have happened with the police. Well, you know, ultimately it's a good thing that they're trying to do. So we're going to overlook or kind of just not even, you know, address these other problems or issues. And so I do think that happens a lot in our current superhero movies is it reflects this idea of don't worry. Yes, they're cutting corners or they're breaking, you know, the constitution or something, but they're good guys. So we're just going to let it go. Exactly. Yeah, and, I, and I would also quibble with Joe's uh, contention that, you know, the happier side of this is that the superhero runs around fixing everything. They don't fix everything. They don't, they don't fix the racial divide in this country. They don't fix the poverty issues in this country. I've never once seen Tony Stark give anybody a sandwich or bust a dirty cop um, who was yeah. uh, being brutalizing um, a minority force. I mean, the only superhero, I think Joe was saying earlier, the only superhero that really has seems to have any concern about the racial tensions in this country is Daredevil, and he's blind, so I'm, I don't even think that counts, right? And that definitely, he definitely cares. <laughs> More about it in an era when Hell's Kitchen was uh, not a bunch of upper yeah. <laughs> upper crust uh, clubs and brunch spots. <laughs> it, it, it made a lot it more starts. sense in the past. Yeah. Yeah. So, a couple <laughs> points to Ellie. Uh, the Daredevil's phenomenal on that. I, Daredevil so far has been my favorite adaptation of a comic book because of those reasons. Because not giving away spoilers, but the ending with law enforcement and it's the right law enforcement agency being involved is fantastic. And so I was just giddy watching that because it's like, wow, they're, they're actually trying to do this by the book. Not perfect. They do cite the right statutes on things and they're, they're close. They are close. That made me feel really good because it does speak to justice and the hero is a lawyer. So like, that was cool. Agent Carter was really good at following the law. And that was also Nice to see. To Jessica's point, the comics after Civil War, and then you had the initiative, what follows after the uh, scroll invasion is Dark Reign. And Dark Reign proves the horror of the police state with Norman Osborn in charge of S.H.I.E.L.D., which he turns into Hammer, and how everything goes to hell because of that. And a very, very bad legal things were happening under his dark rain, which then oh. led into to the her- heroic era. Though to Jessica's point, that was one of those instances where he was a bad guy, and all the laws were, were the same. He was a bad guy, and if it weren't him, maybe it'd be okay. Well, look, real quick, we need to wrap up here in a second. Well, who wants the last word? Yes. I'll just say this. I think, and Josh actually follows the comic books more closely than I do, but I do think the comic books, and they've just got more bandwidth to do this, but I think they often portray a more nuanced view of things, whereas the movies and even the TV show Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. don't tend to do that. So I think, Josh, to a lot of your points, you know, some of these issues may be better addressed in the comic books than they are on the big screen and where they're reaching the huge audiences. You know, I'm optimistic about Captain America Civil War because that was such yeah. a great comic book story. They might be able to nail it. I mean, they've I'm optimistic, especially after watching Daredevil. 
Well, that sounds like something that we all need to look forward to. By next week, we'll have all seen Ultron. We'll know what that's about. In the meantime, I want to thank our guests for coming. Uh, Josh, Jessica, uh, they're at The Legal Geeks, so you should go read them because it's great, especially if you follow Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. because they break, usually break that down every week, uh, or close to it at least. I want to thank Ellie for being here, as always. I love being here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Great. In the same thanks, room. you guys. This is fun. <laughs> thank yeah. you, gentlemen. Thank thanks. you so We're much. We're huge fans. Oh, thanks. And all you listeners, I want to thank you for listening. Remember that you can listen to us on the Legal Talk Network, but you can also subscribe to us on iTunes. That way you'll never miss an episode. And give us a review on iTunes, and that moves us up the, uh, up the rankings, and that gets us more listeners, so that's always good. So with that, I'd like to say goodbye, and we'll see you all in the next episode. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. You can also find us at AboveTheLaw.com, ATLRedline.com, iTunes, RSS, Twitter, and Facebook. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.